Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. This is David Canfield, and I'm recording this on Thursday, August 31st, 2023, here in Chicago. In a couple of recent programs, I shared about the exodus of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. And what I was stressing in those programs was we need to understand that the purpose of the Passover was not only so that the children of Israel could be saved from God's judgment. The purpose of the Passover was to get them out of the land of Egypt so they could build God's dwelling place. And that's why God sent all the plagues on the land of Egypt. It's why he had to go through, uh, Moses had to go through this process of uh, negotiating with Pharaoh until finally uh, God struck, struck down the firstborn in the land of Egypt and, and the Egyptians thrust the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And I'll link to those programs below. But, but like I say, that was to prepare the way to share about the Passover. And of course, the point of that is that it shows that the redemption of Christ, which is pictured in the Passover, is not only for the sake of the, so we can have our sins forgiven. The purpose of redemption is so that we can come out from uh, the world system and out from under the ruler of the world and his dominion to serve the Lord for the building up of the church today. That's why we are redeemed. And we really see that in the picture of the Passover and the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt. But in this program, now I want to go on and, and in a sense start to share about the Passover itself, but in a sense I still want to prepare the way to share about the Passover itself. Because in this program, as, as I got into the Passover, I just appreciated in a new way the relationship between the Passover in the Old Testament and the Lord's table in the New Testament and the wedding feast of the Lamb in the coming kingdom age. And so I think if we see the relationship between these three, we'll have a greater appreciation for each of them and then we'll have a better way to get into the Passover itself and hopefully as the Lord allows in the next uh, program or two. And so in this program, we're, talk, we're going to talk about the Passover, but we're also going to spend a lot of time in Luke chapter 22. And the reason for that is, this is the only chapter in the Bible that combines all three of these different feasts and helps us to see the relationship between these feasts. So we'll be spending a lot of time in Exodus 12, which is where we see the, the Passover itself, but also looking very much at Luke chapter 22. So you might want to have your Bible handy as we uh, go through this. And as I say, go through the relationship between these three different feasts. Well, of course, the Passover was a feast of the nation of Israel. And it was instituted when they were in the land of Egypt. God told Moses to have all the uh, children of Israel take a lamb and slay the lamb and then uh, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their houses and then stay in the house so that when the destroying angel came, no one in the house would be touched by the destroying angel. God says, I won't allow the destroying angel to enter into the house. But he did go through, the destroying angel did go through the land of Egypt and slay all the firstborn. And as a result of that, the, the, the Egyptians told the Israelites, now you have to get out of the land of Egypt. We don't want you here anymore. And so it was the Passover that made the way for the children of Israel to leave the land of Egypt. So that was the initiation of the Passover. And then the Lord told Moses, he said, I want, to make, I want you to make sure year by year to keep the Passover as a memorial feast. And that's in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, So this day shall be to you a memorial, 
and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So there was one time when the Passover saved the children of Israel from God's judgment. But for the remainder of their days, they were to remember that salvation, how they were saved from God's judgment, by keeping the Passover as a memorial feast every year. It was the first of the seven feasts, uh, yearly feasts that God ordained for the children of Israel. But the New Testament leaves no doubt that the Passover in the Old Testament is a type of the death of Christ on the cross for our sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So he, for sure, he says, he, he's saying there, the Passover is a picture of the, re, of the death of Christ on the cross. He's the reality of the Passover. And we, it, it's important to understand there. He doesn't just say that Christ is our Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, Christ is our Passover He's the whole Passover. Everything in the Passover points us to Christ and points us to the redemptive work of Christ. And of course, in John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, he is saying the Passover lamb, that lamb was a picture. The real Lamb of God, the real Passover who takes away the sin of the world. That's Christ himself. That's the one right here, the one who's walking right by me right now. He is the reality of the Passover. So again, you see uh, how the New Testament affirms the Passover is a type of Christ. And of course, most importantly, uh, Jesus, when he was crucified, he was crucified on the day of the Passover. That for sure shows he is the fulfillment of the type of the Passover. The type of the Passover is fulfilled in him as the real Lamb of God. And so, again, we won't get into the details of the Passover in this program, but when we do, it just should make us appreciate Christ so much more and how he was sacrificed uh, for our, our sin so that the destroying angel and God's judgment passed over us. We, could, we just need to worship the Lord for that. And these pictures help us to appreciate the death of Christ so much more. You know, in the New Testament, of course, that's where you have the plain teaching about the death of Christ. But it's here and there. There's some sections like uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, in Hebrews chapters 9 and 10 to talk more about it. Uh, but there's not one place that really puts it all together. But in, in the Old Testament, there is one place that puts it all together. And that's in Exodus chapter 12 that really talks about all the different aspects of the redemptive work of Christ. And you just thank the Lord that the Holy Spirit saw fit to include such a chapter in the Bible because this picture can help us to appreciate so much more what we are hearing in the plain words in the New Testament. So the Passover was a feast of the children of Israel and eventually of the Jews, the tribe that remained. And they kept that feast for 1,500 years. And then the Lord Jesus came and he lived on the earth for 30 years. Then he ministered on the earth for another three and a half years, roughly. And then came the time for him to be crucified. And on the night before he was crucified, that was the time that they kept the Passover feast. So in Luke chapter 22, it says in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Again, pointing to Christ as our real Passover. Praise the Lord for that. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So here they are going to keep the Passover. Very important to recognize that because we have to see the, the distinction here between the Passover and the Lord's table. 
Verse 14 of uh, Luke 22. When the hour had come, he sat down with the twelve, and he sat down in the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now we have to read this carefully and understand. He's talking here about the Passover. This is the last Passover of the children of Israel in all their 1500 years. What these verses in Luke show us are showing us is the final Passover of the children of Israel. He's saying, I'm not going to partake of that Passover again until the kingdom of God comes. Very significant. But then in in verse 19 of Luke 22, he goes on. He again takes bread a second time in this chapter. And he says, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. So here he's instituting the Lord's table by giving the bread to his disciples and saying, this is my body. That's instituting the Lord's table. And verse 20 goes on. Likewise, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So that's the institution of the Lord's table. What this shows us is that the Lord's table in the New Testament replaces the Passover from the Old Testament. And it shows us there is a real connection between these two different feasts, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you had the Passover as a memorial feast of how the Lord saved the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. In the New Testament, we have the Lord's table as a memorial feast of how the Lord saved us from our sins. Both of these are memorial feasts. In the the Old Testament feast, uh, in a sense it points back to the Passover, but in a deeper sense, this memorial feast of the Passover was pointing forward to the death of Christ on the cross, whereas the memorial feast of the Lord's table does point back to the death of Christ on the cross in reality. One points forward to the death of Christ, one points backward to the death of Christ. But they both are feasts that cause us to appreciate the Lord and his death on our behalf and and reminds us of all that the Lord is and how he's sacrificed himself for us. And the Lord wants us to keep this kind of a feast as the believers in Christ week by week, as he says, to remember him and to declare his death. So we should ask, why is it so important to the Lord that we have this memorial feast? In the the Old Testament, he tells Moses, look, I want you to keep this as a memorial feast year by year. In the New Testament, in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, it records this feast and the Lord saying, do this until I come. I want you to keep this feast. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, the Apostle Paul also talks about the Lord's table. So it's very, very significant. It's in the three, three synoptic Gospels and it's in the writings of the Apostle Paul as well. So you have to say this is something for, for all the believers today. Sometimes there's this crazy teaching what's in the Gospel is, is not for the believers. Even if you say that, the Apostle Paul strongly told us we should keep this feast. So there's no question we should be keeping the Lord's table today. And what Paul, Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verses 23 through 25. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord really wants us to remember him at his table. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, we have to ask, why is it so important to the Lord that we remember him in this way, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament? Well, as as I was considering this, I was reminded of a portion uh, in Darby's synopsis of the Bible. And this is from his comments on Leviticus chapter 23. And he's talking here about the Feast of Tabernacles which was the last of the seven annual feasts that the Jews were to keep. Passover was the first, Tabernacles was the last of the seven. But in his comments here, he points out something. There's a similarity between the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, he's, even though he's talking specifically about Tabernacles, he says that this somewhat applies also to the Passover. And I think the principle he gives here, which is quite crucial, very much applies to us today. So let's read what uh, what Darby says. This again is from his comments on Leviticus chapter 23. If you have the Believer's Bookshelf edition, the five-volume edition, it's in on page 241 of the first volume. Otherwise, it's just look for uh, Leviticus 23. So I'll just start by reading briefly what Leviticus 23 says about the Feast of Tabernacles. This is Leviticus 23, verses 33, beginning. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. So that's uh, the book of Leviticus, what the Lord told Moses in the book of Leviticus about the Feast of Tabernacles. Now here's Darby's comments on that. He says, The expression, solemn assembly, is not found applied to any of the feasts but this, except to the seventh day of the Passover, as it seems to me somewhat in the same sense. And he references Deuteronomy 16 there. So he, he says, what is said here about the Feast of Tabernacles somewhat also applies to the Passover. The Feast of Tabernacles could not be kept in the wilderness. And the Lord told them when they enter into the good land, you're supposed to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In order to observe it, the people were to be in possession of the land, as is plain. It is also to be observed that it was never kept according to the prescriptions of the law from Joshua till Nehemiah. And he references Nehemiah 8.17. That's where it says, basically, they never kept the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, here's the key point that Darby makes in this regard. He says, Israel had forgotten that they had been strangers in the wilderness. Joy without the remembrance of this. In other words, if you rejoice in the Lord in such a way that it causes you to forget that you were a stranger in the wilderness. That's the remembrance of this he's talking about. He says, joy without the remembrance of this, that you were strangers in the wilderness, tends to ruin. The very enjoyment of the blessing leads to it. So do you see the point he's making here? 
if we rejoice in the Lord and if we are joyful before the Lord in such a way that it causes us to forget where we came from, that very enjoyment will ruin us, spiritually speaking. It will ruin our walk with the Lord. And that's a very important reason why the Lord wants us to keep the memorial feast, is to remind us how much we need the redemptive work of Christ and how much we depend on the redemptive work of Christ when we see his body broken in the bread and his uh, blood shed in the cup that's poured out. It reminds us so much of how much we need the redemptive work of Christ and it points us back to Christ again. Now, one thing I want to point out is they were these were both memorial feasts. These are both, the, the Old Testament Passover was a memorial feast. The Lord's table is a memorial feast. What does that mean? It, the Passover was only effective one time. It only had a real effect on the children of Israel that one time when they were in the land of Egypt and it saved them from God's judgment. Every time after that, it was simply to point back as a remembrance of what the Lord had done for them when they were in the land of Egypt. In the same way, the Lord's table today, it's simply a memorial feast of what the Lord did for us on the cross. Now you have the false, even I would say heretical teaching of the Roman church that says, no, it's still efficacious. It's still having some uh, effect upon the believers. It's a reenactment of the Lord's death or their they have a funny way of uh, saying it. They call it the Eucharist. It's, I'm not exactly sure the right way they would phrase it, that you're, it's the same sacrifice all over again. It's something like that. But they're saying it is still efficacious. No, it is a memorial feast. That's what the Lord always says in relation to the Lord's table. Do this in remembrance of me. Not that it's going to have any more effect. The death of Christ was a one-time event. That is over, completely over. And praise the Lord for that. Now we remember his death at the Lord's table. But it's not efficacious anymore. It is a memorial feast that points us back to the Lord once again, week by week. But the Lord's table does not only point us back to the Lord's death. It also reminds us and points us forward to his second coming, to his coming again. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? This is in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So yes, it's a memorial feast of the Lord's death, but it's a reminder to us. It should be a reminder to us. The Lord is coming again. Praise the Lord for that. So it both points us backward and it points us forward. Well, in pointing us forward, it is also pointing us toward the third of the three feasts in the Lord's administration. And that is the wedding feast that will take place at the Lord's return. And where is that in the New Testament? Well, you see that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, where the angel says to the Apostle John, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So praise the Lord. In the coming kingdom, there is going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. So just as the Lord's table replaced the Passover, so the wedding feast of the Lamb is going to replace the Lord's table as the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover and of the Lord's table. Remember in Luke 19, what the Lord said was, I will no longer eat of the Passover until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the Passover didn't go away. 
it was replaced by the Lord's table, and ultimately it will be fulfilled in the wedding feast of the Lamb in the kingdom of God. And the Lord's table ultimately will be fulfilled in the wedding feast of the Lamb in the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord for that. That's what we're looking forward to, saints, as we feast today. So here, in, so what that shows us is you have three basic feasts before the Lord in each of the three major dispensations or arrangements that he has for his people. In the Old Testament, you have the Passover. In the New Testament, you have the Lord's table. And in the coming kingdom, you have the wedding feast of the Lamb. Well, as I said before, Luke chapter 22 is the only chapter in the Bible that brings these three different feasts together. So we've seen already where the uh, Passover is in Luke 22 and where the Lord's table is. So where is the wedding feast of the Lamb? That's in Luke 22, verses 28 through 30. The Lord tells the apostles, You are those who have continued with me in my trials. Very, very touching statement. You are those who have continued with me in my trials. You know, I hope when I see the Lord, and I hope when you can see the Lord, the Lord will be able to say to us, You are those who have continued with me in my trials. Of course, we continue with the Lord in a spiritual sense. These were the brothers who were faithful to remain with the Lord all through his earthly ministry. And they have a special reward for that faithfulness. Praise the Lord. And what the Lord tells them about that reward comes next. You are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So there he's talking about the wedding feast in the kingdom where there will be eating and drinking at his table and judging the tribes of Israel. And of course, it's not just the 12 apostles who will be in that wedding feast. In Luke chapter 13, verse 29, the Lord says, they will come from east and west and from north and south and sit down in the kingdom of God. So, so many of the Lord's children will be with him in this wedding feast of the Lamb in the coming kingdom, all the overcoming believers, if we're faithful to the Lord, if we overcome to follow the Lord in this age and endure to the end, the reward is, just as he rewarded the apostles, we also will share in the reward of joining the Lord for the wedding feast in the coming 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. Of course, after that, in eternity, all the believers will be together for that time, for eternity. Praise the Lord for that. We have that assurance. But we don't have the assurance we're necessarily going to be in the wedding feast. That depends on whether we're faithful to follow the Lord, just as the 12 apostles who were with the Lord on the earth were faithful to follow him at that time. But basically what I want to just stress in this podcast is that we have these three basic feasts with the Lord in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the coming kingdom age. What that shows us, saints, is that our life is a life of feasting. It should be a life of feasting with the Lord. Because if we're feasting with the Lord day by day, and that's not just at the Lord's table. Of course, he's the real food. He's the real drink. And I, probably I should read some of those verses in John chapter 6. In verse 32, starting from there, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Then in verse 48, starting, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. 
Verse 55, my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he who feeds on me will live because of me. So these are just wonderful statements from the Lord, where he's showing us he is our living bread. So the Lord's table is a picture of that. That we need to be feasting on the Lord day by day, taking him in as our bread of life, taking him in as our, to be nourished by him in his word, really touching the Lord himself, allowing him to permeate our whole being with himself. And that's what really prepares us to be with the Lord in the coming age, because we've already been feasting with the Lord day by day in this age. And we should have a deep sense of this when we come to the Lord's table, that our life is a life of feasting with the Lord today, day by day, really taking him as our bread of life. He's our real Passover lamb who died on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven, who rose from the dead so that today we can feast on him day by day to be prepared to feast with him for the 1,000 years of his kingdom on the earth. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.